welcome to the Relational Grace Podcast, where we share the teachings of Pastor Nick Harris, who taught us that Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. I'm your host, Jamie Russell, Pastor Harris's son. Following the Exodus when Israel had come into the land of Canaan, the priests brought the tabernacle to the town of Shiloh. The tabernacle would remain here for 200 years. In time, there was a battle with the Philistines over a Hebrew highway. The high priests were in charge of the tabernacle, and these high priests were the sons of Eli. When the Israelites were in this battle, they wanted the Ark of the Covenant to give them power to win. So they sent messengers to go ask the high priest to see if they could have the Ark of the Covenant with them to have God's power to win the battle. As they brought the Ark of the Covenant out to the battle, God did not go with it. His presence was in the Holy of Holies when the Ark of the Covenant was there, and when it was brought out of the battle. It was said that the presence of the Lord had departed from the Holy of Holies. In this episode, Pastor Harris will teach on how the Ark of the Covenant departed. So let's go ahead and hear what Pastor Harris has to say in this ninth episode of the Saga of David series titled, David and the Ark of God. As you are probably aware by now, the Bible describes David ben Jesse as being a man after God's own heart. Now, this doesn't mean, as I've shared with you week after week, this doesn't mean that he was morally perfect. Far from it. If there was anybody that was not morally perfect, it was David. And yet still, he is a man after God's own heart. Well, what does that mean? It, it simply means that the things that mattered most to God mattered most to David. That's what made him a man after God's own heart. And because David cared about the things God cared about, God honored him. Now, somehow, David knew that one of the things that mattered most to God was this, to have a permanent place for his presence to dwell upon this earth. A permanent place. There's the key. Remember now, during Israel's sojourn in the wilderness of uh, Sinai, the people were forced to move from place to place, right? They made 40 different encampments in the wilderness. And so every time they moved, what happened? The tabernacle had to move with them so it could sit in the midst of the camp as God has commanded. But now here's the key. Even though the tabernacle was simply made, God himself had personally given Moses its unique design. And there in that tabernacle, designed by God himself, the divine presence, the Shekinah glory of God, dwells in that innermost room. Now this room where the Ark of the Covenant was kept in the tabernacle was known by that awesome name, the Holy of Holies. Or, as the Jews would say, the holiest place. It measured this holy place, uh, or the holiest place, measured 15 feet by 15 feet by 15 feet. In other words, it was a perfect cube, indicative of that number three, something that we should always remember, a perfect cube. And there in that perfect cube, the Shekinah glory of God rested atop the points of the four uplifted wings of the two cherubs that were fixed to the top of a box that was called the Ark of the Covenant. Now, in this room, the Holy of Holies was separated from the other room in the tabernacle, a space called the Holy Place, not the holiest place, but the holy place. They were separated by a great veil, a huge veil, a thick veil. Now, as David told us this morning, once Israel had entered into the land, the tabernacle then no longer moved from place to place. Throughout those 40 years in the wilderness, it moved along with the people. But once they occupied the land, the tabernacle no longer moved about. It was erected in the small town of Shiloh, located in the central highlands, of the state of Israel. Now, Shiloh 
was an out-of-the-way place, far from any large population center. So as time passed, fewer and fewer people took the time to journey there. And as a result, the vast majority of people living in Israel gradually ceased to bring sacrifices to the Lord. Now, normally, uh, I can show you here what we were talking about. Here is the Holy of Holies. Here is the holy place. Here is the great golden menorah, the table of showbread. Here is the golden altar of incense. And then here sitting inside is the Ark of the Covenant and God's presence on earth dwelling on top of the wings. One of the holiest places in, in, in the whole world. But as this place, in this obscure location, people ceased to come. They, they no longer brought their sacrifices. It, and this was especially true during the time of King Saul. Why? Well, it's because people follow their leaders. What your leaders are is often what the people become. And so in this case, Saul was not a spiritual man. He didn't care about things like sacrifices and offerings and all these other things. And so what happened during his reign is the people began to grow more and more apostate. The things of God mattered little to Saul, so they began to matter little to the people. But when David became king, he was concerned. He was deeply concerned for those things that mattered to God. And one of the things God wanted from his people were their sacrifices and their offerings. Now, it appears that David felt there was only one way to end this growing apostasy among his people. And that was to provide a permanent house for God, a place where they could come, a place where the Ark of the Covenant and God's presence on earth could dwell. So David began to develop a plan to build his God a house that would be worthy of him, a house of stone and cedar. And David knew the exact spot where this house should be erected. It was on the top of Mount Moriah. Now, why was that? Because it was here that the righteous Abraham had built an altar upon which he had nearly sacrificed his only son Isaac as an offering to the Lord. To David, this was one of the most hallowed spots on the face of the earth. In fact, as he saw things, this mountaintop was the holiest place anywhere to be found outside of heaven. However, there were at least two obstacles David faced in completing his plan. And his first was this. Think about it. As we saw last week, when David first became the king of Israel, this mountain was being held by an alien people. Their names were the Jebusites, a tribe of Canaanites. So before David could build a house here on top of this mountain, he first had to subdue these people. This was David's first challenge. Now, a second challenge that stood in David's way was the cost of the temple he planned to build, because this temple was going to be spectacular. Now, David didn't have the money when he first came. To be king when he first put it on, he said he had no money at all, so he couldn't build the type of house that he believed his God deserved. But you see, David was a man of faith. David was a man of faith. And he wasn't about to allow these circumstances to stand in his way. He truly believed, David believed with all of his heart, that there was no situation in life that can't be overcome through the power of faith. Even financial shortfalls must bow their knees to faith. David believed this. He believed that no matter how dire a situation looked, with God, nothing is impossible. And through faith, you tap in to the resources of God. So he began his efforts to build God a house at where his faith told him to start. Where was that? With the capture of Jerusalem. He would conquer the Jebusites. 
Now, as I told you last week, David quickly subdued Fortress Jerusalem by sending his mighty men up the water shaft of the city, conquering it by night. In one night, now think about this, this man of faith did something that no one had been able to do for a thousand years. In one night, he brought Jerusalem to its knees. And suddenly now, Fortress Jerusalem belonged to the man of faith. And with that goal achieved, David quickly moved to overcome the second problem. You see, here's what God, here's what David knew that most Christians don't know today. It's a principle. Those of you who have been with me for a long time know the principle. The principle is this. God doesn't have a money problem. Now, God has a people problem. But God doesn't have a money problem. Listen, folks. God doesn't have asphalt trucks. He has gold trucks. He paves streets with gold. He doesn't have a money problem. David understood that. David understood that all he had to do was plug in to God's supply to understand who his God was. His God was El Shaddai. And that means the God who is more than enough. God has more than he needs, and God is able to do what? Exceeding abundantly more than we think or ask. David understood this. He was a New Testament man living in the Old Testament age. So David just reached out to God to take what was his. Now, aside from the Jebusites and apart from the lack of money, there was one other dynamic at work here. You see, for some 60 years, the Ark of the Covenant had not been in the place where it truly belonged. Now, as we all know, the Ark of the Covenant was supposed to abide where? This is where God said to place the Ark of the Covenant. He never said to put it anywhere else. But for 60 years before David put the crown on his head, this room stood empty. The Ark of the Covenant was not there, beloved. Now, instead, where was it? Well, it was being kept in a house in the tiny Judean village known as Kiriath-Jerim. Now, you may be wondering, Pastor, how on earth did the Ark of the Covenant, when God expressly said, put it here and leave it here, how did it end up in Kiriath-Jerim? What in the world happened? Well, let me answer the question. It all went back to the days when a man named Eli was the high priest and chief judge of Israel. Now, at that particular time, the Philistines had grown, grown strong, and they were threatening to overwhelm the state of Israel. So a call went out to all the tribes, well, actually to the tribes of Ephraim, the tribe of Judah, the tribe of Simeon, and the tribe of Benjamin. Their warriors were told to gather at the town of Aphek to do battle with the Philistines. But, beloved, when the battle was finally joined, things didn't go well for the Israelites at all. Things just did not go well at all, and it looked so bad on the surface. Well, it became so dire that the commander of the Israeli forces got a messenger, and he said, Listen, I want you to go to Shiloh. Tell the priest there to bring the ark. This could be the end of us as a state. We need the power of God to be on our side. We need the ark to be delivered. Of course, you know what they were hoping. They were hoping that the appearance of the ark would turn the tide of battle and that God would fight on their side. Now, we all want that, don't we? We want God to be on our side. Sometimes we don't 
think about what it takes to get God on our side. We just want him there. We want him to sanctify and to bless whatever ignorant thing we're doing at the time. That's me. Now, here's something else we should all know. At this time, Eli, David told us this morning, what's Eli's job? It's to take care, uh, to judge Israel, and to take care of the tabernacle. But he has become very, very old. In fact, he was too old to tend to his duties at the tabernacle, and his duties have now been assumed by two totally awful, corrupt, Stinko, delinquent sons, Stinko, named Phineas. See, right away, I don't like the guy. Phineas and Hophni. Now, Hophni, that kind of sounds like a horse that's got a frog in his throat. Hophni. My dog makes that sound when it chokes on a bone. Hoffnai. Hoffnai. Whoever named a kid Hoffnai. Somebody ought to take a rubber hose and beat Eli for naming those kids those names. Now, believe me when I tell you, these two guys were jerks of the highest order. And I'm doing them a favor. You say, Pastor, you're so hard on these guys. No, I'm being kind to them. In the first place, they were womanizers. Of the worst order. In fact, when women would come to the tabernacle to present their offerings to God, these so-called priests, now I hope you're with me, would offer these women special blessings if they would come in with them to the forbidden place, the holy place where only priests were allowed, and they would have intercourse with these women in exchange for wonderful blessings from those who were serving as the priests of God. I hear about that kind of thing still going on today. It makes me sick. Now, it goes without saying that these two men were not worthy to be priests. So when the messenger appeared in Shiloh and asked for the ark to be brought to Aphek, it was all up to Phineas and Hophni. And, of course, they wanted to be the stars of the show. They wanted to become famous. They were going to be the ones that showed up bearing the ark of God on their shoulders. And when the battle turned, they would become national heroes. Be declared to be the greatest men in the country. But in taking up the ark of God, they committed a grievous sin. You see, neither one of these boys were high priests yet. And it wasn't Yom Kippur. So they desecrated the tabernacle. They desecrated the Holy of Holies by daring to enter into that sacred room. By coming into this place, they went into the room where only the high priest of God, duly anointed and consecrated, could enter. Only the high priest could do this. And then these two men committed another grievous sin when they took the ark from the sanctuary. You see, you weren't allowed to take this thing out. And yet here they go, and they pick it up, they place it on their shoulders, and they carry it out. Two awful crimes against God. Now, they get this thing on their shoulders. They put the staves in. They carry it outside, but they hadn't really cleared the camp yet when something awful happened. God showed up. And God declared this tabernacle 
minus the Ark of the Covenant, with a desecrated Holy of Holies. He declared that place to be anathema. He gave it the name Ichabod. Now, what does that mean? Ichabod means the presence of the Lord hath departed. God said, no more. I am through with the tabernacle. I'm done. The presence of God deserts the place. And Eli prepares a sign with that word Ichabod and hangs it in front of the veil. A terrible moment. No one had to tell Eli. How come he did? No one had to tell him the presence of God had departed. This was a man of God. He could sense when he went here that God wasn't present anymore. Now, meanwhile, Phineas and Hophni reached Aphek with the ark. But it did nothing to turn the tide of battle. In fact, the battle was lost and these two evil priests were killed. But the saddest thing about that day was the fact that the Ark of the Covenant was taken captive by the hated Philistines. And they kept God's Ark in their temples until God sent a severe plague upon the five Philistine cities. And so the Philistines, after suffering with what the Bible calls hemorrhoids, every man in the five cities, can you imagine the military officers in charge? Boy, I hope the Israelites don't attack now. Can you believe how funny the Bible is? And what a sense of humor our God has. I mean, only God can think of that. Now, <laughs> yeah, I hear people saying I'm leaving. <laughs> this is too graphic, too much information. <laughs> now, what they did is they said, well, wait a minute. Now, if we got this plague, but what we have done is simply place it inside of the sanctuary of our God, what happens if we don't send it back the right way? I mean, it could be 50 times worse. And so what they did is they took two milk cows, both of whom had calves, and they hitched them up to a cart, a brand-new cart, placed the ark upon it, turned the two milk cows loose. They said, look, if these milk cows do what's unnatural, that is, leave their calves and take off, we know we've done it the right way. So they turn it loose, and what happens? That old cart, those two milk cows, pull that thing as straight toward Shiloh as you can possibly ever go. I mean, they were going straight there. But it got to the first... Hebrew village, which was the village of Beth Shemesh, and if you saw Raiders of the Lost Ark, it really happened that way. Those guys got curious about what was inside the ark, opened up the ark, plague came out, 30,000 of them died. They were more than anxious to get rid of it, and so they sent it to the house of Abinadab in a place called Kiriath-Jerim, this little village. And that is why the Ark of the Covenant was located at Kiriath-Jerim, and not in the Holy of Holies, in the tabernacle. Now remember, the tabernacle in Shiloh was Ichabod, but the house of Abinadab wasn't. That's why it was there. It couldn't be returned to that Ichabod tabernacle, so it's kept in a place that's not Ichabod. But the fact is, the ark didn't belong in either of these locations. But nobody recognized that but David. It belonged in a permanent house that would be dedicated to the one true God. But we must understand this as well. Most of the people living in Israel at this time didn't share David's enthusiasm to build a new house for God. Did you know that? Oh, no. This wasn't met with universal approval. There were all those people who 
say, yes, uh, God expects us to be good stewards of his money. And, of course, we determine what the stewardship is, and we don't let the Word determine what that stewardship is. But they said, you know, this ragged old tent that right now is 240 years old, that's good enough for God. We'll just refurbish it. We'll just update it a little bit. We'll just kind of fix what's wrong with it, and then we don't have to have this national appropriation. But David refused to consider the attempt to remodel the tabernacle. And he also refused one other thing, and that was to update the worship of the people. You see, nothing like that would do, and why not? Once again, it was because the tabernacle was Ichabod. You can fix up something where God doesn't well to be the most beautiful place on the whole face of the earth, but it's not going to bring God back to that place. Well, God had said that he would never again dwell in that place, and God always does what he says. So if refurbishing the tabernacle was not an option, then what could David have used to entice the people to join him in building this house for God? What was it that he had to use to get them to come on board? Well, David turned to the one sacred item that had not been declared to be Ichabod, the Ark of the Covenant. Think about it. The Ark of the Covenant was where? It was gone when God declared that to be Ichabod. And so the Ark of the Covenant had not been cursed. So David decided to use the Ark, the one sacred object that was not cursed, to renew Israel's worship and to renew their spiritual lives at the same time. Now here's what was odd. David knew the Ark was special. He knew it was the throne of God on earth. But what David didn't know was this. That the Ark of the Covenant was far more than the throne of God on earth. You see, this Ark provided the one perfect type and shadow of the Lord Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, this box, this sacred object, was the most perfect example, the clearest type and shadow in the entire Old Testament of the ministry of our Lord. You see, what happened is that Christ became for us our Ark of the Covenant. Now, here's what I mean. Look at this box. This is recognizable as a box, is it not? But it is a very unique box. When you looked at Jesus, you recognized him as being a human being. Nobody questioned. He wasn't a ghost floating around. You couldn't reach through him. He was a real live human being that shed blood, got hungry, got sleepy, got tired. All of this stuff was common to him. But you see, he was unique in one respect, and that is that he had two natures. He had a human nature. And he had a divine nature. Well, this box was made of two elements. One element was wood. What's the nature of wood? It's subject to decay, is it not? It rots. It dies. Gold, on the other hand, is not subject to decay. It does not oxidize. That's what makes it unique. It is the eternal element. And so here in Jesus Christ, you have these elements. He was like the ark recognizable as a human being, just as that's recognizable as a box, and yet having two natures, one divine and one human. Now, on top of this box, there is a lid with a crown about it. It had two distended wings and two extended wings, but beneath these distended wings, there was a place on the top of the box that was called the mercy seat. Well, what is it the book of Hebrews tells us? It says, Jesus Christ is our Mercy seat. It can't be any clearer than that, can it? 
The two angels, think about them. Justice and mercy. On top of them, set the invisible throne of God. What is it that Paul says in Colossians? It says that Christ bears the image of the Godhead bodily. He supports that image of God. Jesus Christ is the Ark of the Covenant, at least for our age, for our dispensation. Now, again, David's knowledge was limited. He only knew the Ark was the throne of God on earth. But he also knew that the kingdom of Israel would never be great until God once again sat enthroned in the midst of his people. He said, I have got to arrange some way for this. Oh, this is great. I've got to arrange some way for this to be in the middle of the people where it belongs the throne of God on earth. I've got to find a way to have a house for God. So here's what he decided to do. He said, I don't have the money yet to build the temple. Meanwhile, God has spoken to him. He said, David, I can't allow you to build a temple. It's going to have to be your son who builds it. I can't let you build it because you're a man of blood. You're a man who's killed. You have blood on your hands. I have to have a man that's never killed to build a house for me because my kingdom is a kingdom of peace. Well, he decided, David did, he said, I've got to have that here, though. I don't have a house yet. What can I do here? And so he decided to send men to Kiriath-Jerim to bring the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. Now, remember at that point, once again, now just remember this, there's no temple to place it in. And since the old tabernacle, its original resting place was now Ichabod, he couldn't bring the, ta- the Ark of the Covenant to the tabernacle. So David decided on a course of action. That was revolutionary. He decided to erect a new home for the ark. He decided to place it within a simple tent that would be pitched on the top of Mount Moriah. And this tent would come to be known as the Tabernacle of David. What it was, if you look on the internet under the Tabernacle of David, you'll see a picture of it. It was the simplest tent available. Four poles covered with sheepskin. With an opening in the middle, David had the opening pulled back and attached to two of the poles. He placed the Ark of the Covenant within that thing so that people could observe the Ark of the Covenant 24 hours a day. So David decided to pitch this tent, place the Ark of the Covenant in it, and place it on top of Mount Moriah, which David changed the name And he began to call this place Mount Zion. And he left the flats open. The people could come. They could see the Ark of the Covenant any time they chose to do so. That Ark that had only been observed by the eyes of the high priest was now available to anyone who wanted to, to, to see it. But now I hope you're asking yourself two questions. In the first place, I hope you're asking yourself this. By what authority did David raise this tent on Mount Zion? Who ever told him he could do that? That's big. God said, put it in the tabernacle. God gave expressing things. Who told him to erect this little simple tent on the top of Mount Zion? In the second place, I hope you're asking yourself, by what authority David placed the ark on full view? Now, once again, the answer relates to types and shadows. You see, God was in perfect accord with what David did. The period of time, here's the key. That period of time between the arrival of the ark on Mount Moriah and the completion of the temple in the days of Solomon 
represents in types and shadows the church age. Now, why do I say that? It's because we don't need a priesthood to approach the throne of grace. What did they have to have up until the time that David brought it? If you wanted something brought into the Holy of Holies, you had to have a priest, a high priest, do it for you. But our high priest is on duty 24 hours a day. The throne of God is open to all of us. We can approach it boldly because we live now in the special time of the tabernacle of David. There's no veil to separate us from the true Ark of the Covenant today. The veil that once separated God's people was torn in two pieces when Christ died on the cross. And all of us who have been born of God now have free access to the Lord Jesus Christ. But that's not all that David purposed to do that had ramifications for the church. David appears to have grown weary of the solemn worship. This old dead worship that took place, killing animals, and, you know, all of this. He, he was just sick to death of it. And he decided to establish a new order of joyful worship around his new tabernacle, the tabernacle of David. In fact, at this tabernacle, there would be no sacrifices of animals. The sacrifices that would be offered at David's tabernacle was what David would later call sacrifices of praise. That's the new sacrifice. The praise of the people would be the new sacrifices. Just as it is in our age, we no longer sacrifice animals. We offer up to God sacrifices of praise. Now, to facilitate this new style of worship... David chose three men, Asaph, Ethan, and He-Man. Yes, or Heman, but I love He-Man. And then he divided several thousand Levitical singers into three groups with Asaph, He-Man, and Ethan leading each group. And each of these three worship leaders were responsible to lead the musicians in worship for eight hours running. The group of Ethan, eight hours. He-man, eight hours. Asaph, eight hours. Twenty-four hours a day, praise and worship went up to the Lord. And for 40 years, count them, 40 long years, this continued. As long as the Ark of the Covenant rested in the tabernacle of David, praise went up to God 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So you see, the worship of the church. Since this is a type and shadow of the church age, the worship of the church was meant to reflect the worship experienced in the tabernacle of David. Now listen, church, we must remember this. Jesus fulfilled the sacrificial system of the old covenant by his death on the cross. The sacrifices of the church age, which I call the new covenant priesthood, are the sacrifices of praise, joy, and thanksgiving. Now you say, Pastor, I think you're crazy, you're nuttier than a fruitcake, and I never heard any of this in my whole life. Well, just hang on to this. Amos chapter 9, verse 11. Here's something that will blow your socks off. I hope you're holding on to your garters. God speaking through this man, Amos says, On that day, I will raise up the tabernacle of David. Does it say the tabernacle of Moses? Does it say the tabernacle in the wilderness? No, it says, on that day I will raise up the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. What happened to the praise and worship of the church? It fell under religious influences. 
And we cease praising and worshiping God in God's way. He said, the tabernacle of David which has fallen down and repair its damages. I will raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old. God says, Davidic worship is coming back, church. It's going to happen, he says. Now, this prophecy was interpreted by the leaders of the early church, the apostolic church, as being fulfilled in their day. I'd like to see it fulfilled in ours. Listen to Acts chapter 15, verses 13 through 18. And after they had become silent, that was really hard in the early church, James, who's the brother of Jesus, as you know, this half-brother, answered, saying, Men and brethren, listen to me. Now, see, I'm not the only preacher that ever said listen to me. Simon has declared how God at the first visited the Gentiles to make uh, of them a people for his name, or to take out of them. And with this, the words of the prophets agree. Just as it is written, now listen to this, After this I will return, and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins. I will set it up so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. Even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who does all these things. Know to God from eternity, we are all His works. Now, what is God saying? God is saying, I know how you want to worship me, but you're not worshiping yourself. If you're worshiping yourself, then do things your way. If you want to worship me, do things my way. Psalms 150 tells us how God wants to be worshipped. And one of the first things it says is loudly. Worship loudly. Why? Because God inhabits the praises of His people. When we are praising God in song, we are fulfilling God's demand upon us to Restore the tabernacle of David. Now, in addition, James here, the brother of Jesus, tells his listeners that they were living during the time of the restoration of the tabernacle of David. The result of the church flowing in Davidic worship, prophecy, and authority produced a great harvest of souls. Did you know that? When they began to praise God in song, God's way, what happened? Revival broke out. In Jerusalem. Thousands came to the Lord. Now, you say, Pastor, what is Davidic worship? Just simply this. It is worship with the whole person, not just the intellect. That's where we've gone in the church. We've gone to wanting to worship God with our mind. But God wants us to have worship that expresses all of our being. Our body, our souls, our spirit. He wants us to worship together. I can remember when this sweet thing, sitting right here, used to do what? You danced for me every Sunday morning. Well, I say you danced for me because I always got a thrill. Because I can't do it. The church would have emptied in a hurry. But you worshipped God in the dance with your body. Others of us worshipped with our voices. Am I completely crazy here? You're looking at me like I never heard anything like this. Well, you see, Davidic worship features instrumental music, 
What are all of these things? Well, well, well. Strings is what it says in the 150th Psalm. Strings, drums, cymbals. I mean, you name it. Only thing we don't have, shame on you, is a flute. But we've got a flute sometimes. God keeps saying to me, where's that flute? <laughs> yes. And we also have an oboe occasionally, that, which is another nice worship instrument. Now, when David instituted this new form of worship, a great revival of spirituality swept the nation of Israel and the people were transformed. You know, that's what I'm looking for. We went through a period of this. And then we let our Davidic worship become a form. It had all of the signs, but when we started getting the smoke and the flippy lights and the different colors, all of a sudden it became sensationalized. Yes, it became a show. It became Branson Church. God says, those who worship me must worship me, how? In spirit and in truth. God didn't say anything in the 150th Psalm about flipping lights. God, he'll give us the smoke. Holy smoke. That's, that's great. This is getting out of hand. What I want to say to you today is this. True worship puts what God wants first and what we want second. It is a worship of the mind. It is a worship of the will. It's a worship with the body, with the voice, with the instrument. God wants to be praised. And he's looking for the churches who praise him in spirit and in truth. Now you say, Pastor, are you being ugly to other churches? No. You know, I, I'm sure there's people who love Branson. Uh, you know, and if, that, if, if that's what it takes to bring them to Christ, great for them. Don't you think? But I know one thing. I want to be devoted to that simplicity of praising God the spirit man just as David did well I'd better quit because number one I've gotten myself into trouble and number two this has been raw pure teaching and it's, I know it's not very thrilling but it's something that I hope that you've really paid attention to today so uh, that's my teaching for today Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. If you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Don't forget to connect with Ariel Ministries on Facebook and Instagram and subscribe to our email list at arielministries.com. That's Ariel spelled A-R-I-E-L. 
We look forward to keeping you updated on upcoming episodes and projects. If you would like to support the missional efforts of Aerial Ministries in Thoraka, Kenya with Each One Feed One, we'd like to remind you that 10% of all donations to Aerial Ministries will support this missional effort. Visit aerialministries.com give for online donations and other methods of giving. To learn more about the Thoraka mission, you can visit aerialministries.com missions. You can also listen to episode 26 for a deeper dive into how our relationship with Each One Feed One and the McCarter family started over 35 years ago, where we are today, and where we're headed in the future. 